What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by John Larson. In this episode, I'm going to recap everything that happened in Week 10 of the NFL season. I'll break down some of the bigger headlines, talk about a couple games as well, including the Patriots and Colts game, the Giants and the Cowboys game. Tough loss for the Giants, tough loss for the Patriots. I'll give my thoughts on both of these situations with Mac Jones obviously being the Patriots quarterback. How much longer is he going to be the quarterback for them? And then as for the Giants, I'll talk about where they currently stand in regards to the NFL draft order. So let's start off with Mac Jones. He was benched in the last drive of the game on Sunday in Germany, and the Patriots 10-6 loss to the Indianapolis Colts. Bailey Zappi stepped into the game for the last drive with just about two minutes to go. Ends up throwing a game-ending interception. I thought he'd get picked before the drive. I'd said to Mike Curley Sports Guru in a text, I said, here comes a Bailey Zappi game-ending interception. Not because I was rooting for that, just because that's the feeling I got when he stepped onto the field. He was coming off the bench, cold all game, only really warmed up right before that drive, steps in with the entire game in his hands, and it's really hard to come off the bench in that situation for the last drive. I would have kept Mac Jones in, not because Mac Jones was having a good game, by any means he wasn't really playing well, but just because he was already in there, it's tough to throw in a backup quarterback in that situation just the last drive of the game when they sat on the bench for the first 58 minutes of the contest. It just would have been smarter to probably go with Mac Jones there. As for whether or not Mac Jones will be their starter the rest of the year, I think this could be it for Mac Jones as their starter. In this game, he finished 15 and 20 passing, 170 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. That interception coming inside the 10 yard line in the fourth quarter was a horrible decision. Obviously, it could have been a big score opportunity for the Patriots if he didn't get picked there, considering they were on the 10 yard line. And he was also sacked five times in this one. So it wasn't Mac Jones' best game. And the five times he was sacked all came in the first half, I believe. And the Colts are only really rushing four guys in this one. So considering the Patriots' weak offensive line, it's a recipe for disaster considering that you only have to rush four guys to get pressure and to get sacks on the quarterback. There's no real recipe for success with that Patriots offensive line. And they also have maybe the worst weapons in the NFL. And also a fan base that wants Mac Jones gone and a depleted roster. So it's really a losing recipe there for Mac Jones. And then you also have a head coach that a lot of people are losing trust in. And that's Bill Belichick, who I think kind of broke Mac Jones with his failure to protect him as a general manager. Bill Belichick has the power to draft whatever he wants in the NFL draft and sign whatever free agents that he wants, and he neglected the offensive line in the draft over the last couple years for the most part. He gave Mac Jones a poor offensive line and a sad group of weapons to throw to. So it's really hard to evaluate Mac Jones and the quarterback that he can be with what he has around him. I think Mac Jones is a lot better than what he's shown over the last six to eight games with this offensive line and the weapons that he's thrown to. Even though Mac Jones may not be the Super Bowl winning quarterback that Tom Brady was, and he's not elevating the guys around him like Tom Brady did in New England, he's not really set up to succeed with the things that are around him right now. There's not really much talent around him to try to go out there and win games, especially in the division that he's in. Because all three teams are better than the Patriots, and that's something I predict before the season began. I said the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins are all better than the Patriots by at least two to three games. And that's just the way things are working out right now. So now that brings it to question, is Bailey Zappi the answer? He stepped into the game for the last drive in the fourth quarter. Does that mean he'll be their starter when things do return for them after the bye week? Which the Patriots are on a bye week right now, so they have a week now to think about it and try to get themselves back on track. They currently sit at 2-8 just like the Giants. They play the Giants at MetLife Stadium next Sunday, so right after Thanksgiving. And who's going to be the starting quarterback? I don't think Bailey Zappi's the answer. I never really had that much confidence in Zappi, and I thought all the success he had last season was against weak defenses to start, and he also had lower expectations around him to succeed. So when a backup quarterback steps in and they play even average, everybody in the fan base tends to love that guy more than their starter that was struggling because the backup quarterback stepped in with low expectations and exceeded them. I never really saw Bailey Zappi as the answer, and I think at the end of the day, Max Jones is still the better quarterback. But I do think Bailey Zappi could be their starter after the bye week. But do the Patriots have confidence in him? I mean, they cut him after the preseason was over. 
which showed they didn't really worry about anybody picking him up on waivers. Because if they had that much confidence in him, they wouldn't even have risked the opportunity of another team picking him up. They also have Will Greer, who could get a potential shot. I think he ends up being the guy before Bailey Zappi. So if Mac Jones doesn't start against the Giants, I think Will Greer will be the guy that gets a shot before Zappi as the starter. He played in three games in 2019 for Carolina. Didn't look good at all in those games. No touchdowns with four picks in those three games. In his college career, though, he was successful at West Virginia. In his senior year in 2018, he threw 37 touchdowns and 8 interceptions in the Big 12. Obviously not much defense in the Big 12 back in the day in 2018. But he did show an ability to score the ball in college. I do think after the bye week, though, Mac Jones will no longer be the starter. So it'll be between Bailey Zappi and Will Greer for who's going to start. If I'm the Patriots... I'm not throwing either one of those guys in there. I'm throwing Malik Cunningham in there because I know what he can do watching all of his years at Louisville. And when you have a poor offensive line, having a mobile quarterback that can move, it's a big advantage. I'm not saying Malik Cunningham is going to step in and be Lamar Jackson, but he can extend plays longer than Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi can because of his mobility and his ability to get out of the pocket and scramble. And one of the big questions around the Patriots right now is whether or not Bill Belichick is going to be fired. And my short answer to this question is no. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to be fired midseason. I know there's a lot of reports online that there could be a potential chance that they pot ways at the end of the season, and that's how I think things are going to go. I said probably a month or so ago now, I said I think Bill Belichick and the Patriots are pot ways at the end of the season. They won't fire him. They'll have Bill Belichick step down, so it doesn't look like he was fired and they, he doesn't have that on his record. But I don't think he's going to be fired midseason. I don't think he's going to even be fired at the end of the season. I think they're going to pot ways mutually, maybe with Bill Belichick stepping down so he doesn't have the firing title on his resume. I think they have too much respect for him and all that he brought to their franchise over the last 20 years or so. But where the Patriots currently stand, they're in tough waters. 2-8, and eight, and they're off to their worst start to a season since 2000. Since 2000, 2-8 is their worst start. And this is territory that Patriots fans and the Patriots players are really never around. They're never around 2-8, and eight, obviously, first time since 2000. And their fans are never fighting for a top pick in the draft. This is something, as a Giants fan, I'm used to. I'm used to us tanking. I'm used to us losing games and getting a top pick every year. But for Patriots fans, these are waters that they've never been in. They've never been 2-8. and eight. At least kids my age and all the winning they had growing up, the Patriots are never contending for a top pick. They were always contending for a Super Bowl. So being 2-8, and eight, this is something they're not used to. The Patriots have lost 33 games since Tom Brady left. They've lost 33 games since Tom Brady left them after the 2019 season was over. They only lost 66 games with Tom Brady at quarterback for 20 years. So they've lost already half the games that they lost with Brady in 16 and a half less years. So that just shows how much Tom Brady covered up when he was here for the Patriots. All the mediocrity around Tom Brady, whether it was weapons that he made look better than they actually were, the offensive line making them look better, getting rid of the ball quick, and then obviously the poor drafting with Bill Belichick, Brady took all the mediocrity and covered it all up. So Tom Brady's legacy is even stronger now than it was when he left the Patriots. Because now we realize and see how much Tom Brady brought to the franchise and how much he covered up for years as their starting quarterback. So now I'm going to move on to talk about the Giants. They had a tough loss to Dallas on Sunday, losing this time 49-17. Tommy DeVito did throw two touchdowns in this game. So even though the Giants didn't have expectations to win this one, I was rooting for Tommy DeVito to do well. And I thought if the Giants were going to win this game, they have to have their defense keep the score around 17 points. And obviously with Dallas being up 28-0 at halftime, Giants fans knew this game was over with. Like I said, my prediction before the game was like 27-17 Dallas. I was way off there. Dallas ends up winning that game 49-17. And in the first six quarters this season versus Dallas, the Giants trailed 68 to nothing, which is abysmal. Through the first game and then the first half of this last game, the Giants were down 68 to nothing in the first six quarters against Dallas. At halftime, it was 28-0 Dallas, and the Cowboys were outgaining the Giants 368 to 27 on offense. 
368 yards on offense to the Giants' 27. And the Giants were averaging just 1.2 yards per play in the first half, which is abysmal. Dak Prescott had an absolute field day against the Giants' defense. He's definitely in the running right now for MVP, considering how hot he's been over the last three weeks or so. He was 26-35 passing in this one, 74% completion percentage, 404 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. Did have an interception and a rushing touchdown, so five total touchdowns and 400 passing yards. He's certainly having a bounce-back year, just like Russell Wilson is in Denver. Dak on the season, 17 passing touchdowns, six interceptions, and two rushing touchdowns. C.D. Lamb was unstoppable in this game. 11 catches for 151 yards and a touchdown. This was his third straight game with 10 catches and 150 yards. That's the longest streak in NFL history, so it's showing how hot of a season he's had. The last three games, Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb have been unstoppable. Really tough duo to try to get in the way of, especially for a Giants defense that has been playing hard as of late. But when you're playing against Dallas and the offense isn't going to be able to score, the Giants defense is going to have to give up less than 20 points to try to win that game. And considering things were already 28-0 at half, I knew the game was over with, and C.D. Lamb was still cooking even in the second half. Dallas finished the season with 89 points scored versus the Giants. If you look at the Giants scoring all year long, the Giants have only scored 118 points all season long in their first 10 games. Dallas has scored 89 points in their two games versus the Giants this year. That obviously just shows how poor of a year the Giants have had offensively and obviously defensively against Dallas. They're outscored 89-17 by Dallas this season. A 72-point differential, which the Giants were minus 72 in these two games. That's the most lopsided two-game series in a single season between the Giants and Dallas. 72-point difference between the Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants. Luckily, the Giants do not have to play them again, so it's one positive after Sunday's game. I'm happy for Sterling Shepard. That's another positive. He did catch a touchdown in this one in the last minute of the game. Tommy DeVito's looking for him a ton in the last drive. Looked for him even three times in the end zone and completed the last fade that he threw him for a two-yard touchdown at the end. DeVito talking him, I think, five times on the last drive, and there could be Sterling Shepard's last touchdown as a Giant if not giving another opportunity this season. Because Stomach Shepard's snap counts have decreased this season for just about every single game. And if you look at it, he was in there in garbage time there, and the Giants are looking for him to get a touchdown score there. So obviously it meant something to get another touchdown score. So that was his first of the season. And I'm happy to see it because Sterling Shevin deserves it. He's battled through a ton of injuries, especially over the last two seasons with season-ending injuries. And he still battles back, and he's still a leader on the sideline to the Giants. So I'm always going to root for him to do big things. If he comes back with the Giants next season, I'm still going to be rooting for him. But I think he's trending towards probably being a coach at some point in the near future. I'm not really too sure if the Giants will bring him back for another year. But he's always had sure hands, and he's an underrated talent for the Giants. One of my favorite players over the last few seasons. Tommy DeVito did play hard in this one. He did what he could, considering the offensive line was obviously at a disadvantage having to go against a Dallas defense. And it's obviously a dream come true for the kid, no matter what happened in the game. He has a lot to be proud of. He was 14-27 passing, a 52% completion percentage, 86 passing yards. Did have two passing touchdowns and an interception. He added seven carries of 41 yards in the game. Tough kid. He knew he was going to get hit a ton going against Dallas. He was sacked five times, hit eight times in that one, and obviously running the ball as well. He took some hits in the open field. As you know, Dallas has a great pass rush led by Micah Parsons. You knew he was going to get hit in this game, but that didn't stop him from trying. He still went out there, took some big hits, and stayed in the pocket a lot of the time trying to make plays for that Giants offense. Obviously, they were at a big disadvantage considering all the injuries they've had this season. During this game, frustration did set in on the sidelines. You had Sterling Shepard having to calm down an angry Darius Slayton at one point. I think it was in the third quarter. Shepard was definitely upset with the way things were going in the game. 
probably upset with the entire season, not just the individual game on its own. But Sterling Shepard was there to be the leader and try to calm him down. He stepped in. I'm happy to see Sterling Shepard still be the leader out there, even though he's not really having as good of a season as you'd expect because he's not really getting the opportunities. He's still out there being a leader and being the best teammate he can be, which is great to see. The Giants were outgained in this one, 640 to 172 overall, just flat out dominated by Dallas. A couple positives for the Giants. Obviously, Tommy DeVito throwing two touchdowns was great to see. His family being at the game for his first career start, that's obviously an awesome story considering he still lives at home, has his laundry done for him, and still has dinner made for him as well. And then obviously, a hometown kid, group of Giants fan, that's a dream come true in its own. And then as for the defense, Donnie Holmes had his first interception of the year, and then Cordell Flott actually had the first interception of his career in the NFL. Both of those things were nice to see. Big fan of both those guys. Excited to see what they do the rest of the season. Considering they're probably going to both get some minutes with the Dory Jackson being out. And obviously this giant season hasn't gone the way we wanted it to, a 2-8 and eight where we currently stand. And now that brings it to question, is Brian Dable on the hot seat? The way I feel about it is right now, where the Giants stand, there's not really much talent to work with due to all of the injuries. But the Giants do look uninspired. They do look uninspired at times in the game. I think Brian Dable needs to find a way to hone in the locker room and their focus and get them to eliminate the frustrations and lock back in. I know everybody's frustrated with a 2-8 start. I know everybody's disappointed considering now the Giants' playoff chances are basically zero unless they won out, which is very, very, very unlikely. With that being said, I think Brian Dable will be back for another season. I know things are going poor right now, but barring unforeseen circumstances, if things do go very bad in the last seven games, maybe he'd be fired, but I don't think that'll be the case. I think Brian Dable will be back. As for Joe Shane, I think he'll be back as well. Shane has found a lot of gems late in the draft, like Micah McFadden, Cordell Flott in the third round. Daniel Bellinger was a fourth-round tight end. He finds a lot of gems in the draft. Now, obviously, he has to find a way to try to figure out which free agents he's going to bring back, which ones he's going to sign on the open market. And then, obviously, he has to find a way to fix that offensive line. Evan Neal does not seem like the right tackle of the future. They maybe have to move him in to inside at guard. Maybe that would help the Giants' offensive line. The Giants have lost 8 of their last 17 games at 15 points or more, which is devastating to see. 6 of those losses being by 20 points or more, so they've been getting blown out a lot over the last 17 games. They are 4-13-1 in their last 18 regular season games, which is very disappointing. They have a minus 148 point differential this season, which is the worst in the NFL, by 51 points. And that was per Dan Duggan of The Athletic. He pointed that out. The Giants have a minus 148 point differential which is the worst in the NFL by 51 points. That just shows how poor of a season we've had. And when we currently stand with the second overall pick, and I think they will end up taking a quarterback, even though I don't think it's Daniel Jones' fault, I would still roll with Daniel Jones for another season and try to beef up the offensive line and help him out on the offense, getting him some weapons. I do think they're going to go in a different direction considering they can get out of his contract after the second year rather easily, and they have a top pick in this year's draft. They're probably going to go out and get a quarterback at the top of the draft and have to pay them very little money on their rookie contract for the first four or five years. So now I'm going to fly through some other games across the NFL. We'll start off with the Vikings and their win with Josh Dobbs at the helm yet again. They won this game 27-19 over the New Orleans Saints. Minnesota has now won five games in a row. They stand at 6-4. and four. Props to Kevin O'Connell, their coach, for not losing hope, keeping focus, getting the locker room to hone back in and stay focused. After a frustrating 0-3 start and a 1-4 start, it's easy to completely flip the page on this season, just give up, especially when Justin Jefferson went down so early in the season. And obviously Kirk Cousins went down now a couple weeks ago. But they have guys stepping up. Josh Dobbs stepping up at quarterback. Justin Jefferson still out. So that means Jordan Addison had to step up. And obviously the defense has been playing very well over the last few games in their win streak. They definitely have a shot at the playoffs. They currently stand at 6-4. and four. Josh Dobbs in this one was 23-34 passing with 268 passing yards, a passing touchdown, and also added eight carries 
for 44 yards and a rushing touchdown in this one. So he ended the game with two total touchdowns and around 300 total yards. He stepped in already a week ago and has brought the Vikings two wins, one of them off the bench, one of them as their starter. And he's been moving the ball down the field consistently for them. And it seems like the guys are all buying into him. They hope to have Justin Jefferson back for next week's matchup against Denver. That would be huge to have him back for that offense. The Saints had two turnovers in this game. There's a big reason they lost this one. Minnesota was taking care of the ball pretty well. They had nine penalties as well in New Orleans, and they also had some injuries to key players in this one. Derek Carr went down, Marshawn Lattimore, and Michael Thomas. So all three key players going down with penalties and injuries and turnovers. That's a big recipe for them to lose that game. The Vikings win that one 27-19. The Texans improved to 5-4 in the season with a big win over the Cincinnati Bengals, 30-27 in a shootout. Houston now owns a wild cut spot in the AFC, and they're 4-1 against teams over 500 this season. Nobody really had any expectation of them being good this season. I had them, I think, at 6-11 or 7-10 before the season began. I thought they'd surprise some people because I thought CJ Stroud would elevate the guys around him. And now you're seeing it. Stroud is having a historic season. And like I said in my Week 10 preview, I thought he'd be the front runner for the offensive rookie of the year before the week. And I thought he'd be in the MVP convo as well. But now he delivered yet again. And he's more in the MVP convo this week than he was last week. And right now with the Texans stand, they currently have a playoff spot. And I know a lot of people want to give the MVP to typically the best quarterback. But there's so many plays right now that are in the top right now for the MVP because there's no runaway. CJ Stroud is definitely in the conversation considering the offensive line he's working with and that situation around the Houston Texans. Nobody had any expectation of them being good this season. I guess besides me, I thought they'd surprise the people and maybe went seven games. I don't think anybody saw them making the playoffs though. But props to Stroud for really taking over the league right away in the first 10 games of his career. Five and four, so I guess nine games into his career and he's already made a name for himself. Last week in week nine against Tampa Bay, so not this past week against Cincinnati, but the game before that against Tampa Bay. They won that game in a shootout, and C.J. Stroud had a 147.8 passer rating, which is the highest single-game passer rating by rookie quarterback in NFL history. He also had 470 passing yards in that game, which is the most passing yards by a rookie in a game in NFL history. And he also became just the sixth player in NFL history to throw for 450 yards, five touchdown passes, and zero interceptions in a single game. So C.J. Stroud has really taken over the league in the first nine games of his career. I know a lot of people criticized him for his one-to-lick score during the pre-draft process. But like he said around that time, he's not a test taker. And he also said this during the pre-draft process. If you don't trust or believe in me, all I could say is watch this. And he was completely right. He's obviously made a big name for himself so far early in his career. I'm excited to see what he does over the next couple of years with the Houston Texans probably spending some money on the offensive line and building that defense over the next year or so. As for another game, the 49ers blew out the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-3 this past weekend. Christian McCaffrey's touchdown streak is over, though. They did win the game, but he did not score a touchdown. They tried four straight plays in garbage time in the last drive of the game, but he could not score for the first time in 18 games. Miraculous stretch there by CMC. Ends the record-tying streak, so if he had one more game with a touchdown, would have set the NFL record. The 49ers took all of their starters out on their last drive of the game late in the fourth quarter, but they left Christian McCaffrey in the game to try to give him a chance to extend the streak. Unfortunately, he ends up not scoring. He had four chances inside the 10-yard line, but the Jacksonville defense did step up and stop him on that last drive. The way I feel, though, is I would never want to put him in harm's way, especially in a game they already won. They're up 34-3. I would never want to put him in the game that late, and a meaningless end to the game and put him in harm's way because Christian McCaffrey is an injury-prone player as we've seen over his career. He hasn't gotten hurt really with the Niners, but in his time with the Carolina Panthers, he was an injury-prone player. I would not want him to be out there and have a risk of getting hurt late in the game when you're up 34-3. I know he wants to set the record, but you're competing for a Super Bowl more than anything, 
And if he were to get hurt, that would be a big hit to that San Francisco 49ers offense. It's just like the Celtics. They're up by 30 points in the fourth quarter. And they still have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and all of their starters still in with four to five minutes to go. That's time to take those guys out and make sure they don't get hurt in a meaningless end to a game that you're already up by 25 to 30 points. In this game for Jacksonville, it was probably the worst game of the year for Trevor Lawrence, maybe the worst of his career. His stat line was 17 of 29 passing, a 59% completion percentage, 185 passing yards, two interceptions, and a fumble. We know the 49ers defense is legit. They've made it impossible on a good amount of quarterbacks this season, and Trevor Lawrence was just another one of those guys. On the year, though, one thing that's concerning for him is his touchdown-to-turnover ratio. Nine total touchdowns to 10 turnovers in the season. And that's not the year that I thought Trevor Lawrence would have. I had high expectations for him to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this season. But it hasn't really shown yet through the midway point of the season. But I still trust that he could turn things around considering there still is a lot of season left to get back on track. But nine total touchdowns to ten turnovers is definitely concerning. That's one thing that has to get better. Calvin Ridley only had two catches in this game for 20 yards. They're not having as strong of a connection like I thought they would. Hopefully that turns around in the next couple weeks. It only takes one hot game to really get back on track and get some confidence between quarterbacks and receivers and obviously the offense as a whole. Trevor Lawrence had a cold game, and Travis Etienne had probably his worst game of the season as well. Didn't really do too much, but there really wasn't much opportunity for him to make a big play considering that 49ers defense was all over the field all game. And Jacksonville was down, so they had to pass the ball, which completely takes the run game out of the mix there for their offense. Next up is Arizona's big win, their comeback win over the Atlanta Falcons, 25-23. Kyler Murray made his return to the Cardinals lineup in this game. I know they fell in the draft order winning this one. I'm sure some fans are upset with it, but I would always rather win games than tank. Because when you're losing, it incentivizes losing games on purpose, and it sets a bad precedent because you completely get rid of a winning culture when you're just losing games on purpose. I know losing teams don't have a winning culture already, but when you're losing on purpose to try to get a higher draft pick, which I don't think the players are losing on purpose, I don't even think the coaches are losing on purpose, but but I know a lot of fan bases want their teams to lose to try to get a higher draft pick, especially where the Cardinals currently stand. But I would always rather win games because the Giants tanked for so long, so many years, and they still missed on high draft picks. Just because you have a high draft pick doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get a hit of a player there. You might miss. There's still as much of a risk missing at the top of the draft just as much as there is at the bottom of the first round. And I'd say there's even more of a chance to miss at the top of the first round considering there are guys that are just athletic freaks you want to take because of their measurables and how good they did in the combine. You take them and sometimes they just don't pan out. And it also stings more when you miss on a high draft pick, let's say in the top five, than when you miss on a guy with the 28th pick overall. Kyle Murray finished this game 19 of 32 passing, 249 passing yards in an interception, had six carries to 33 yards and a touchdown on the ground. The Cardinals now stand at 2 and 8 on the season and hold the fourth overall pick in this upcoming draft. As for Atlanta in this one, Taylor Heineke didn't do much for them at the start of quarterback position. 8 of 15 passing, 55 passing yards and a touchdown. Could be time to go back to Desmond Ritter, in my opinion. Heineke wasn't moving the ball downfield really much at all in this one. I do believe Desmond Ritter gives him a better chance to win. Even though a few weeks ago, a lot of people wanted to go to Heineke and see what he could do. I think Ritter gives you a better chance to win because there are a lot of games when Ritter struggles, but there are also some games when he looks very good passing the ball at times and running the ball as well. I think it's time to go back to Desmond Ritter. If he's fully healthy and ready to go, I think they should play him over Taylor Heineke. Next up, we had the Broncos beat the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football in a crazy ending. That game ended 24-22 with the Broncos getting the win. They've won three straight games, and now we're in the mix for a playoff spot in the AFC. Never really saw this happening. They're 4-5 and five right now. I think I had them at 6 or 7 wins, if I remember right. But this team surprised me over the last few games. They've won three straight. 
beating two good teams, the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Buffalo Bills. The Bills aren't as good as people gave them credit for before the season began. People are overrating them. I pointed that out in my predictions. I also said I thought Josh Allen was overrated. I didn't really see the consistency from Josh Allen that a lot of people thought that he had, which there are some weeks he'll throw four touchdowns, and then there are other weeks he'll throw three interceptions with the fumble and have a couple boneheaded plays. I mean, Josh Allen, you never know what you're going to get from him. I guess he's a gunslinger, so when you have a guy like that, they're going to throw into coverage all the time because they think they can make any throw on the field. And some weeks it's going to go well, some weeks it isn't. And in this game, the Bills did everything they could to lose, from turnovers to penalties to having 12 men on the field on the game-winning field goal that ended up missing by Will Lutz, the kicker for the Broncos. They end up getting an extra chance. Lutz gets to re-kick because of 12 men on the field for Buffalo's defense, which moved him five yards closer and gave him an extra kick. Of course, he's going to make it. He's not going to miss two in a row. Josh Allen was a turnover machine in this one, as I've said probably a million times now between my radio show and my podcast. I think Josh Allen's the most overrated quarterback in the NFL, maybe the most overrated player in the NFL overall. He finished this game 15 to 27, 177 yards, a passing touchdown, two interceptions, and a rushing touchdown as well. This is probably the biggest week for fans to say, oh, I always knew Josh Allen wasn't that good and he's a turnover machine. I've been saying it for a while that Josh Allen turns the ball over too much for my liking. And also, I thought he was overrated even before all these struggles this season. I mentioned it on my radio show probably over the last two years and then this year as well on my podcast. So the last probably three seasons, I haven't seen the consistency from Josh Allen that you need. Obviously, he took a big jump up from year two to year three and is a good quarterback. I'm not denying his talent, but he does have a good amount of boneheaded plays each and every week just about, and if it's not every week, every other week, and he needs to figure out a way to find consistency, and he needs to be better with his decision-making. Decision-making is a big part of the quarterback position. He has to be better. In that game, he did struggle, as I said, just 15-27 passing. I'd say probably his worst game of the season, probably even worse than week one versus the Jets when he really struggled. Both games were abysmal, but this past week, just he couldn't really get anything going in that one. Both games were poor, but losing to the Broncos especially the defense that was one of the worst in the NFL through the first three or four weeks of the season, even though they've turned things around as of late, that's still not a great sign for the Bills' offense. People are starting to see that Josh Allen is overrated. He's not the quarterback that everybody thought he was heading into the season. But like I've said, I've already pointed that out now for two to three seasons. Since 2018, he has 94 turnovers, which is the most in the NFL. 23 fumbles lost, 71 interceptions, and 87 games played since coming into league in 2018. He averages more than one turnover per game, which is awful for a starting quarterback. So if you look at those numbers there... He could be a turnover machine if he's turning the ball over at least once per game on average. The Broncos' defense did start the year in a very cold streak. They're one of the worst in the NFL and NFL history against the run, especially through the first four to five games of the season. Through the first seven weeks of the season, they had just seven takeaways and were historically a bad team against the run. And now in the last two games, they have nine takeaways against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, probably two of the top three quarterbacks in most people's eyes heading into the season. And if you look at it, they've won three games in a row, Green Bay, Kansas City, Buffalo they've beaten. Justin Simmons had a big interception and a forced fumble in that game against Buffalo. He's still a baller for them on that defense. Former Boston College Eagle can be rooting for him always no matter who he plays. Russell Wilson had a good game in this one. 24-29 passing, two passing touchdowns, a 117.4 passer rating, also with a game-winning drive. He's having a big bounce-back season with Sean Payton, who has clearly helped him trim down the turnovers and throw more touchdown passes, get back to his ways that he had in Seattle. On the season, he has 18 passing touchdowns in the first nine games of the year. If you look at last season in 2022, he only had 16 touchdowns passing in all of the 2022 season. So he already has two more touchdown passes this year than he did last year. And obviously doing that in a lot less games this year than he did last year. So the Bills obviously were frustrated with this loss. 
And the next morning after the game, they fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, who I believe is 18-8 and eight, as their offensive coordinator over the last two years. And my question is this. Is he being blamed for the 12 men in the field on the Broncos' field goal attempt at the end of the game? Is he being blamed for Josh Allen's fumbles and his boneheaded plays where he's throwing to the coverage for no reason? If they win that game, does Ken Dorsey stay? I'm not saying the play calls were elite. I'm not saying everything the offense was perfect. But the offense may have gone stagnant at times. I know that. And I know they've gone cold at some points this season. But I blame Josh Allen more than I blame the play calling. Josh Allen needs to be better. Point blank, Josh Allen needs to be better than he's been playing. Because right now the Bills are at a risk of not even making the playoffs. They're out of the playoffs right now. They're 5-5 five and five with the toughest schedule in the NFL left. And I would give them probably a 45% chance right now to make the playoffs. I'm not saying it's impossible. They can still turn things around. We know this offense can get hot. But where they currently stand, they're in a tough position. And I think it's only a matter of time, probably this upcoming offseason, that Stephon Diggs requests a trade. I've been saying for a year that he's going to ask out of Buffalo at some point and that he made Josh Allen into the quarterback that everybody thought he was, especially heading into the season. A top wide receiver makes a huge difference for a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's why with some of the struggling quarterbacks like Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, I want to see those guys be given a chance with a great receiver. Because Josh Allen became the quarterback he was when Stephon Diggs stepped in. Joe Burrow gets Jamar Chase after struggling a little bit his rookie year, ends up becoming an elite quarterback year two. You need a great wide receiver in this game in the NFL today. You need a wide receiver one. That's a reality. And I want to see some of these struggling quarterbacks like Mac Jones and Daniel Jones with a top receiver. Both of those guys, Mac Jones and Daniel Jones, were in tough positions with poor offensive lines, average weapons at best, at the receiver position especially, and also have a fan base that's completely against them and wants to see them fail. I think Mac Jones can still be a successful quarterback in the NFL elsewhere. It's not going to be New England, and the same feeling for Daniel Jones. I've said that now probably since he got hurt with his neck injury this season. I think Daniel Jones can succeed elsewhere. I really do. As to Buffalo, where they currently stand, they're in a very tough position. And Sean McDermott is a head coach that I said was overrated in my season preview, and I still feel that way now. The Buffalo Bills have only gone to the AFC Championship once, no Super Bowl appearances, and have lost in the division around two of the last three years. That doesn't warrant me to say the Buffalo Bills are a powerhouse in the NFL because they're not getting the job done when it matters most in the playoffs. And where they currently stand, they're 5-5. Five and five. They're not even in the playoffs right now if the playoffs started today. So something needs to change in Buffalo. And I think this offseason, I think Stephon Diggs is probably going to request a trade. And I also think Sean McDermott could be out as head coach there. It would be a surprise fire. But if they could go out and get maybe Bill Belichick, if the Patriots do fire him, they'd get him for free. And I think Belichick would be a good destination for him there. I think the Falcons could be a good one for Bill Belichick as well. They're really just a quarterback away. I do like Arthur Smith, the head coach. But if things don't work out this season, maybe they get rid of him. And as for the Bills, though, I do think Bill Belichick could go there and help them. Because he's set up already with a lot there around him. They're already in a position to win. I think head coaching and obviously the quarterback needs to be a little bit better. And obviously the injuries they've had on defense have been a big issue for them this season. But I think the Bills could be a destination for Bill Belichick when all is said and done. I know a lot of people think the Patriots could trade Bill Belichick before firing him. There's no mutual potting of ways in that situation where they trade him and try to get value back. You could still trade Bill Belichick and get something back. Maybe Washington would be a destination for him. I know a lot of people are talking about that. Maybe the Los Angeles Chargers could be a destination for him. Since I think Brandon Staley is probably the worst coach in the NFL. So see what happens with the Bills and Bill Belichick in the offseason. The last game I want to mention is the Browns and their win over the Ravens. Like I predicted in my preview, the Browns got a big win in that one, 33-31, in an upset win over Baltimore. Deshaun Watson started off the game with the pick six on the first drive, throwing the ball to Kyle Hamilton, the safety for the Baltimore Ravens. 
ended up being returned for a touchdown. But in the second half, battling an ankle injury and a shoulder injury, Deshaun Watson locked in. 14-14 passing in the second half, 134 passing yards, a passing touchdown, and a comeback win. But unfortunately, he's going to miss the rest of the season due to a shoulder injury. That's likely going to end the Browns' playoff chances where they currently stand. Even though they're still in the playoff mix, they're 6-3 right now. Without Deshaun Watson, it's probably going to be tough. Even though he's not having that great of a season, you can't expect P.J. Walker or Dorian Thompson-Robinson to carry them. I do like DTR a lot, but he's only a rookie quarterback. You can't really expect too much of him, even though I think he could be a good backup quarterback in the NFL, especially with his mobility. I'd like to see him use his legs more. He can be an electric runner when he does use his legs outside the pocket. According to reports, though, Deshaun Watson wanted to play through the injury for the rest of the season, but if he got hit in the right spot again in his shoulder, his shoulder would fall apart and he did risk the rest of his career, so he's going to miss the rest of the season. If they still had Josh Dobbs, I think this Cleveland Browns team would really be set up in a great position. As you've seen out in Minnesota, they're in a great position with Dobbs as their starting quarterback with Kirk Cousins being out for the rest of the season. As for the Ravens in this game, Lamar Jackson struggled like I predicted he would in this one. The Browns defense is great. Probably the best in the NFL right now. Lamar Jackson finished 13-23 passing, 223 yards, a passing touchdown, two interceptions, and had eight carries of 41 yards on the ground. The Browns defense sacked Lamar Jackson three times in this game with one and a half sacks coming from Miles Garrett, who was my defensive player of the year pick before the season began. I'm staying with that now. He looks like the best defensive player in the NFL right now. As for the Ravens defense, they sacked Deshaun Watson four times with two of them from his former teammate Jadeveon Clowney in Houston, who's been playing well for Baltimore this season. Roquan Smith was probably their best player overall in this game, especially defensively. He's a tackling machine, 14 solo tackles, 7 assisted tackles with 21 combined tackles in this game. He is an absolute force there in the middle of that Baltimore Ravens defense. Anyways, it will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.